0: From now until March 31st, 2017, we're offering 10% off any eligible product on DuramaxTuner.com's website. All you have to do is mention podcasts. For more information, call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920 or go to the website DuramaxTuner.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Thank you for joining
1: us again. This is Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Voss. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, definitely some great stuff going on with iTunes, Danny. Some guys giving us some really good ratings. We always appreciate those five-star guys. Please keep them coming. Your comments are much appreciated. We're thinking maybe uh, kicking off next year, we're going to start reading a couple of the, the reviews there on iTunes to try to get, uh, get the good stuff out there and let you know what other people think of us.
2: That's awesome, do that on YouTube, too. When we post a video on YouTube, check that out as well. Yeah. That's always awesome. That I think I can uh, respond back to that and actually talk to you then. Yeah, We're on iTunes. We want to see that because that's permanent. That's like etched in stone. But like YouTube, we can just talk to you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, twin Turbo Emissions Equipped 2016 LML, Matt Rosenberg, Austin from Diesel Tech, Jason Worley, Danny Voss, Nick Pregnitz. Not me. I wasn't on that one, um, but I have got to listen to the rough cut, and you guys did a good job. I, I really appreciate that. Thanks for filling in there.
2: Yeah, when you get that many unbelievable people in the diesel um, industry in one room at the same time, that's a pretty cool deal, Paul.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a pretty cool fucking project. Yeah, <laughs>
2: you know, that's, oh, a,
1: that's what really got me on it. You know, is after driving me. that truck and riding that truck, it is uh, it's another level.
2: I just want to say I did a full um, ride-along and a full review on Matt Rosenberg's 2016 emissions-equipped DPF on Duramax. He tossed me the keys and said, go check it out. And I sacrificed my, you know, just cruising around, um, I sacrificed that and enjoying that by myself. I put my phone out and tried to keep it as still as possible. And it had a 20-minute review. And, uh, man, I couldn't tell you how awesome it was to drive that truck.
1: Absolutely. What's what's your YouTube channel you posted that on, Danny?
2: Um, I put it on uh, Danny at DuramaxTuner.com. That's uh. You know, my YouTube setup.
1: That's your YouTube handle? Awesome. Okay, so definitely search that. Otherwise, you can always just search Duramax Tuners YouTube channel. Check out all of the shows that we've published there. Uh, We try to keep up on them. It's a slow upload process, but we do what we can. Uh, Definitely also, if you haven't listened to Dynamite Diesel Products. Yes. Dynamite Diesel Products with Lenny uh, Reed. Man, what a great episode. He really just had so much good insight. Uh we agreed on so many points without having to discuss it. It was yeah. it was a lot of fun.
2: He really painted a great picture on what um fueled up where it goes, you know, how it works through the injector and everything like that. It was pretty awesome.
1: Absolutely. And then of course, Tyler Kip uh coming out of Industrial Injection, real world budget build 986, real wheel rear wheel horsepower little ghetto fog in there, but uh, we'll still give the number to him, huh? I don't,
2: Well, we were going through this whole episode, and I didn't even know until the end that Tyler worked at Industrial Injection.
1: Yeah, our, our second interview from an Industrial Injection uh employee there. Yeah, absolutely. Sean Baca, of course, with 2,400 horsepower after last year's UCC. Speaking of UCC, Danny and I are going to be so happy to join you.
2: At the UCC, April 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, in, in Indy. In,
1: in Indy. Absolutely. We will be the official podcast of the Ultimate Callout Challenge 2017. <laughs> very honored, very excited for that. We've already gotten started uh, interviewing uh, one contestant. We started off with Nick Pregnant. You can hear his interview. It's about 20, 25 minutes long. Just talking about the UCC truck. Uh, and his process with it, so I thought that was that was a lot of fun. Really excited to do those for all of the contenders of the UCC.
2: And we're going to interview them. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly about their builds. We're going to. I'm going to try to find a hole in their project and try to ask them, kind of pick at them a little bit, and you know, kind of stuff that other people would say maybe behind their back, like, "Hey, why didn't?" Like I asked Nick, well, "How come you aren't spraying nitrous?" Yeah. You know what are you doing? What are you, everybody's spraying nitrous, and you're not spraying nitrous? Right you know? So I'm going to try to find that in each and every guest.
1: I like it. I like it. Really get in there. Good, tough interviewing. Yeah.
2: Just step up your uh, interviewing skills, Paul.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. We are really, like I said, honored and excited for the UCC. Uh, Today, for the end of the year here, we wanted to get somebody else on that's a little bit outside of the industry. I'd like to invite uh, Dan Cole. Dan, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Yeah, not a problem at all, Dan. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast and why we're having you on today.
3: Yeah, so I host the 4x4 podcast, uh, which focuses on everything off-roading related. It's a pretty wide gamut of topics that we cover. Everything from local club stuff all the way up to the Baja 1000. uh, Talking the King of the Hammers is coming up soon. Everybody's gearing up for that. And everything kind of outdoors lifestyle related. So, as like the segment of overlanding is growing, there's a lot of people who've discovered that they've kind of lost that that camping craft. They don't know how to uh, really get the most out of a camping experience, really. Um, so we talk about you know Dutch oven cooking and how to you know do things in camp a little better. So it's a pretty wide range of topics. Uh, I've been doing this show for a couple years, and I've been introduced to a lot of really cool people. Had a lot of cool opportunities. Um, I even got to be a co-driver in the Baja 1000 back in 2012.
1: Really? What was that like?
3: Yeah. Uh, It was an awesome, awesome experience. Um, I got paired up with uh, an organization called Heroes Off-Road, putting veterans with uh, race teams. And so I got to go down to San Diego, meet up with the homemade motorsports team, and in their Toyota, we uh, tackled the Baja 1000. Um, Unfortunately, you know, Baja is unforgiving and it got the best of us that year. But uh, it was still a really cool experience. I think I had about seven hours in the truck, and we cracked out at race mile 212, I think.
1: Oh, wow. That is is a tough race. Uh, Maybe for some of our listeners who are really just the hardcore diesel guys, they don't know too much about it. Can you walk us through a little bit of what the Baja 1000 is and why that's a part of kind of your off-road segment?
3: It's about a 1,000-mile race uh, that starts in Ensenada, Mexico, and the route actually changes each year, and so in 2012, it was the Peninsula Run, where they go from Ensenada down to the very southern uh, La Paz in Mexico, and it's, once you start, um, the pits and everything are set by the race team supporting you. Um, You are really just out there on your own. Uh, There's some really great support from BF Goodrich, so they'll set up some pits that teams will pay for, Uh, some support there have tires and fuel kind of pre-staged along the race course but it is just about as wild west racing as it gets uh it's a everything from you know 800 900 horsepower trophy trucks weighing in at eight tons or eight thousand pounds to uh the old class 11 the vw bugs Uh, and i was in a class 7 truck with i don't know like three feet of rear wheel travel and two feet of front wheel travel it was a A really great experience uh, being with the homemade motorsports team.
1: That's awesome, man. That's a lot of travel in it. What happened? What went wrong?
3: So, actually, when I first got in the truck, we were about race mile 77, and the fuel pump took a dump. Um, So, in the sand on the inside of a fast turn, um, we swapped out fuel pumps. I took a a gasoline bath (laughs) (laughs) and uh, managed to get that, got the truck up and running again, and made it another about 100 miles down the course, and then the third member in that Toyota rear axle, it just seized up, melted off the gears in there. Uh, And so we, once it got cool enough that we could actually touch the the rear axle, we swapped out axle shafts, swapped out third member, got everything oiled back up and back on the race course. Um, But by around race mile 200, uh, we started, the rear end was just screaming like a banshee. So there was clearly something going on, but we were out of third members and it was just run it as delicately as we can um so as we were going around one of the uh, fast graded roads we were getting pretty close to 85 90 miles an hour on these dirt roads or trails if you want to call them roads um (laughs) and finally we started slowing down the rpms were going up so we'd actually melted off the gears on the ring and pinion again
1: oh my god So that,
3: that pretty much ended our race (laughs) <laughs> that point. Then it was just sitting, on, sitting in the desert, watching the stars, trying not to get run over by the other racers, waiting for the chase team to come and pick us up.
1: <laughs> How long did you have to wait out there?
3: Uh, it was a couple hours. They were a little bit way We were kind of in a hard spot to get to. Um, so we just got as far off the race course as we could and uh, hang out in a safe place and watch everybody else go by and watch the stars.
1: Oh, wow. That is crazy. How long does it take to make a run like that, like successfully?
3: It really depends on the race team and the kind of truck that people are in, uh, the and the race course as well, because the length does vary uh, depending on the route. Uh, that year, I think the I think the longest were about thirty six hours, and they started cutting people off saying you have exceeded the time limit. Um, oh, wow! But a lot of the trophy truck teams that are running million dollar trucks. have loads and loads of support they're coming in closer to 18 to 12 hours depending
1: holy shit that is flying man to do a thousand miles in 12 to 18 hours that's my dream right
3: (laughs) yeah off road no less yeah (laughs) yeah and, and what's what a lot of people don't understand is that it's you see the videos where they're just flying through the dunes and over these bumps and just Cruising across the desert, but really the race is the average speeds is closer to 25 or 30 miles an hour because there's some really technical sections that they got to work through with a big, heavy, wide truck. Um, but then they make up that time when they get out to those wide open areas.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay okay cool so you were talking about the king of the hammers that's a really badass event if you've never heard of it um we've got a lot of ultra four cars and a lot of crazy stuff out there tell us about that uh, and your experience with the king of the hammers
3: yeah so the king of the hammers is really kind of a growing segment right now um because a lot of folks realize that hey not everybody can afford the million dollar trophy truck and so a couple guys they went out to johnson valley and they said hey i bet I can hit all these trails before you and complete it. And so it was just a a couple of guys in their Jeeps, and they went out on this bet. Um, But since then, it has grown into these unlimited class trucks um, that are pushing the same boundaries as the trophy trucks. And a lot of those same drivers from the SCORE Baja Racing Series, they've crossed over because they want to be, you know, king of the hammers you know it is what it is (laughs) but they have not fared especially well because king of the hammers is very technical driving it's a mix between hardcore rock crawling and then that wide open desert racing and so building the the cars for that is a really delicate balance because a truck that does especially well in wide open sections will not do well in the rock crawls and then a rock crawling buggy it's not going to do well in a wide open desert and so it's, it's a real challenge finding that balance and then a driver who's got the skills to be able to do both of those types of driving well. Um, but now there's, it's really exploded. Now there's the king of the motos, guys going out there, motorcycles, rock crawling through some, the gnarliest terrain you've ever seen. Yes. And then the, the UTVs, the side-by-sides, that's really blown up too.
1: I think that is the next market of off-roading. To be honest with you, I mean, it, it's oh, yeah. if you look at the cost of going out and buying a twenty-thousand-dollar badass side-by-side, which twenty grand is a pretty badass side-by-side. I mean, it's hard yeah. to imagine that I'm going to go buy a Wrangler and dump ten or fifteen grand into it to convert it over to be somewhat equal. I mean, for most practical purposes, right?
2: Twenty grand ain't nothing for a side-by-side. I have a buddy with ten grand into his Easy Go. Yeah. I have a buddy with 35 grand in his side-by-side and he's still talking about doing stuff. It's like, <laughs> wow. It doesn't stop. It's yeah, worse than a diesel addiction. The, the
3: biggest challenge that I think they got to get over with the side by side is the road legalness. Um where you know, you can spend, you know, 10 grand on a clamped out Jeep, put 10 grand into it and you have a really awesome built Jeep that you can drive on the road. Right. Whereas you spend 20 grand on a side-by-side and you still got to get the trailer you got to get the tow rig you got to get all the other gears just to go out and enjoy the thing so that's one of the biggest challenges if there was a way they could make those side by sides road legal I think they'd hit the sweet spot and the market would really explode more than it has already
1: yeah yeah that's a that's a good call I mean we are starting to see the OEMs at least some of them cater a little bit to this kind of off road segment and I thought it was pretty interesting uh we just actually might Fiance and I just went out and we got her a, a Jeep Cherokee, and there's, of course, the Trailhawk edition with the trail rated. And I really personally, I couldn't rationalize putting her in it because the only thing I could find that was different is that in the Trailhawk trail rated version, it got cool colored tow hooks and it had a super, super, super low gear for rock crawling. Uh, have you guys started to mess around with any of these brand new vehicles that are coming out from the OEMs like this, the the trail rated uh, Cherokee or the Wrangler right off the factory showroom floors, are these pretty solid off-road vehicles or do they still need to be modified?
3: So it really depends on who it is you're talking to and what they want to do with it. Um, because, you know, for where I go, I you know, I'm on a. I drive a Jeep Cherokee as well, but it's what people would consider the real Cherokee. Uh, it's a '99, not the new 2014 the newer Cherokee.
2: Yeah, he have uh, got it's the 4.0, it's got Paul. Lift
3: and 35-inch tires and lockers front and rear. Whereas the new Cherokee is really aimed for somebody who wants to get good gas mileage, have great road manners, commute to and from each, to work each day, and then on the weekend be able to go and explore some mild trails. Yeah. Um, and so, for that purpose, I, I think the Cherokee does a great job, uh, but. People are really considering those more soft rotors than off-roaders, and they will kind of the gateway drug into the real off-road and the Jeep market.
1: I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch but, that yeah. to the wife, actually. That's exactly what I'm going to tell her. It's like, we bought you a soft rotor. Don't worry. This is cool. You can do it. Don't worry about the fact that you slid off the road into the ditch again. Um, yeah,
3: and that's why they make those tow points bright red so that you can find them. You get stuck enough. to don't need
2: to see them. <laughs> Talking from a professional, you right, know. right. Been no, stuck I like a, it. You know, axle deep in the mud before. You're looking <laughs> for that big red hook. I like it. Yep.
1: I like it. Okay. Well, how about diesels in off-roading? That's something that, as far as my experience goes, we see a lot of swaps. I don't see a lot of guys necessarily. Well, I have seen some mud racing, you know, so yeah. or some monster trucks, like some pretty extreme builds. But I wouldn't say it's real normal to see diesels out in the off-road world. Do you guys run into it very often?
3: You know, it's not something I see very often, which is unfortunate. It's something that, you know, my professional job, I'm in the military, and so I work with heavy diesel engines and very off-roadable vehicles all the time. Um, but you just don't see it too much in the, you know, the regular civilian off-road sector. Um, and I think that has to do a lot with the weight. Uh, like, the one of the best examples, really, is the Ram Power Wagon. And... Ram Trucks has said flat out numerous times that they will never put a diesel motor into the power wagon, and it all comes right down to the weight. Um, but I have seen it. You know, I had a, a buddy in Texas who took a, uh, the 4BT out of the old Frito olade truck, one of those box vans, oh, yeah. and dropped it into his CJ7, and he would just idle right across all the obstacles. And one time I saw him get on to like a 35, 40 degree incline on a hill climb, and as soon as he romped on the throttle, you know, it dumps black soot everywhere and cleared out the mosquitoes for the square mile around where we were. (laughs) But all afternoon, he was just idling along, and it was just a great time. Um, So that's one of the things I've looked at before. What is it going to take for me to put a diesel motor into a Jeep? And... Every time I go and test drive one of these new Jeeps, I I always end up looking at the the Jeep guys and say, you know, until I can get a diesel motor in this vehicle that can fit 35s right on it from the factory, I'm not not in the market for a new Jeep.
2: Well, I'm glad you brought Um, that up, Dan, because just at this year's PRI show down in Indy, where we're going to be at, real close, um, you know, they just announced that Cummins... Cummins himself has a 2.8 liter four-cylinder conversion that you can stick in your Jeep, and I think it's going to be huge, man. Yeah, I think they're
1: going directly after that off-road package for this exact reason because the four BTs is the only thing I've ever seen. Well, I've seen a few 12 elf swaps, but but four BTs are, are primarily what I've seen thrown in a Wrangler yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, Dan, they just they idle. You, you know, what I mean, you could put anything behind it because it's a such a simple package, and there's there's so few electronics i was really excited to hear about this new cummins crate motor program 2.8 liter four cylinder cummins cummins common rail i mean it yeah. sounds identical to the 2.8 Real liter close. duramax yeah. uh, i'll be interested to find out more about it to see what the differences are
2: and think about having like a four-door sahara x you know with that conversion oh man I mean, you'd you'd you got of the
1: trails the king of the trails and you still oh, yeah. got to be killing the fuel mileage
3: yeah. So, and that was the thing with those those four BTs. I think the hard part with them was the was the livability. I, those are very heavy on the vibrations. They're loud. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the uh, two point eight does. Um, any idea what it's putting out in terms of numbers?
2: It was right around two hundred. I was reading about just similar. Uh, you know, right around two hundred. I think two ten maybe.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right for that size motor. One eighty to two hundred.
2: Yeah. But it's going to be, I mean, they were talking about the emissions equipped where it's going to have DPF, um, EGR, SO, you know, everything that we always talk about. um, And now you're going to have to tune with all that emissions on. So it'll be a clean burn and trail rig. It'll be pretty cool, man.
1: Absolutely. And Dan, we're going to ask you a few more questions about off-roading and diesel right after a quick word from our sponsors.
4: Hi, I'm Phil Grandinetti, service manager at Calibrated Power Solutions. As you probably know, we install high performance equipment for your diesel truck. Twin turbo kits, dual fueler kits, injectors, our stealth turbos, our DT750 and DT1000 transmissions. But what you may not know is that our techs can also diagnose and repair most of the systems on your truck, including electrical, starting and charging, AC, brakes, ABS, steering and suspension. So please call us if you're having issues with any of the systems on your truck. We will help you through the process of diagnosing and repairing the problem. You can reach us at 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920.
2: And we're back with Dan Cole from the 4x4 podcast. Appreciate you joining us, Dan. You know, Paul, I was wondering how are we going to try to intersect these two podcasts. And I think it's really cool. The more podcast listeners we both have, the better. And uh, Dan Cole has a great following. And why not introduce this new package? I just found out about it. I'm in the industry. And uh, it's news to me, so I know it's news to everybody. So we got the 2.8-liter Cummins that you can put in a Jeep. Select the different Jeeps that you have to look it up to see if yours qualifies, qualifies. But how awesome is that? I mean, a 2.8 liter. Everybody's doing these big, heavy 4BT conversions. It's, um, you know, something you hear about, but now having something that's all emissions intact um, that they'll sell you that you can just plop right into your your Jeep. Unreal.
3: Yeah, this thing is really, really exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the kind of numbers that it's putting out. Um, You know, I talked to some of the guys in Europe who drive, you know, diesel power plants are pretty popular in a lot of their vehicles. And, Turns out a lot of them actually want to switch over to gasoline just because of the, you know, romping on the throttle to get up to highway speeds with the diesel, um, just from the factory is kind of lower power, you know, like 160 horsepower doesn't sound like a lot, but if in turn you get over 300, you know, foot pounds of torque, you know, that's that's a big difference.
1: Yeah, it's a usable application of power, and I think that's the big difference in a, a diesel compared to a, a gasser. As we start to look at those comparisons, is we we usually end up talking about power curves, right? So where's where can we use the power and where do we have power? Obviously, with diesel, we have all this really usable low-end torque, right? So we have this grunt to move at very low speeds, a large load. Well, that's ideal for off-roading. The weight would be your trading factor, which I would imagine you would have to balance that out with a little bit of suspension love. nothing too crazy. Uh, most of the time as we start to compare it, even after talking to guys like Nate Mueller, who put a LMM Duramax in a 2010, a, a Camaro. 2010 Camaro, which is one of my favorite projects, uh, he really said there was only about a 300 pound difference, you know, from one to the other. So I mean that's not the end of the world. you know if we can balance that out with some springs or some some coil overs or something along those lines, um, what I think is really interesting is, as we consider, like, what have they done in Europe is they have a lot of stock. They're not really into modifying the diesel the way that the the U.S. is, you know, or North America is in general. And so that's where I think that, like, the emissions-equipped tuning and, and turbos and things like that, that's something that our side of the pond is obviously much better with. And I see that being a, a much bigger avenue for off-roading guys. I know I have done, a, like I said, a mud race truck before where he wanted 37s on it with like a, a six inch lift, I want to say was enough to clear it because there wasn't much turning. And uh, he wanted twin turbo, big injectors, motor build. I mean, we did it 750 rear wheel horsepower, and the thing's a fucking monster, to be honest. Like, it's it, one of my favorite trucks. So it's possible. Yeah, that. So, Dan, as we start to wrap up the episode here, I wanted to make sure listeners know how to reach out and get in contact with you. If somebody wants to follow up and learn more about the 4x4 podcast, how should they reach you?
3: You know, the very best way is to head over to the website, uh, the4x4podcast.com, and that's 4x4, like you'd find it on the side of any proper uh, pickup truck. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, our Instagram follows growing pretty quickly i get to see a lot of cool trucks because right now i'm uh i'm in alaska and so as you can imagine there's a lot of cool vehicles that a lot of purpose-built things that come to alaska but you also see a bunch of what people don't realize all that stuff you see on like alaska bush people that's real (laughs) so you (laughs) see a lot of kooky stuff as well
1: well that's just awesome Dan, thank you so much for taking the time out today to, to talk to us on the diesel performance podcast we really appreciate it we hope to have you back on soon
2: yep make sure uh, you check us out on Snapchat Twitter Facebook Instagram as well you know all these social media pieces mean a lot to us
1: all that's that's right Danny I've been working on my Twitter just for you you know you H- are stepping it up uh, I, I am I'm really I'm working on that tweet game um, I almost remembered my name is now at dmax tuner Paul. on Twitter.
2: Dang, getting technical.
1: Yeah, yeah. D-Max, not douchebag. So D-Max Tuner Paul, and you will find me on Twitter.
2: Awesome, man. We'll hit Paul up with a message.
1: Absolutely. This has been Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Voss. Thanks for listening.
0: Calibrated Power Solutions, the leading North American developer of clean diesel power and home of DuramaxTuner.com, is the proud sponsor of the Diesel Performance Podcast. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped tunes for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Jeep, John Deere, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out calibratedpower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. To reach out to the Diesel Performance Podcast, send us a message through Facebook, or email Paul at DuramaxTuner.com or Danny at DuramaxTuner.com.
1: Really excited to do those for all of the contenders of the UCC.
2: And we're going to interview them. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly about their builds. We're going to. Absolutely. Gonna, I'm going to try to find a hole in their project. And try to ask him, kind of pick at him a little bit and, you know, kind of stuff that other people would say maybe behind their back. Like, hey, why didn't, like I asked Nick, well, how come you aren't spraying nitrous? Yeah. You know, what are you doing? What are you, everybody's spraying nitrous and you're not spraying nitrous? Right.